I am so thankful for all the good things happening right now in this church. I am thankful that so many of you stepped up last week and made a financial commitment to the work of this church. I'm thankful to the over 350 men who gave up a valued Saturday yesterday to retreat with us and study how to be a a better man of God. And I'm thankful to all the wives and children who uh, gave up husbands and fathers for a day for their spiritual development. Uh, I am thankful for how well our small group season is going. I'm hearing reports almost every day of good things. And I'm thankful for the way that you responded last week to something I'm trying during this series, and that is not putting my main text each week for the sermon up on the screen. Now, I will put complimentary scriptures on the screen. I'll put the points on the screen. But each week I'm asking you to open your Bible to our main text and keep that Bible open as we work our way through it. And we tried that last week for the first time. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback, and I'm thankful that you're a church that's willing to try new things. I must say, it was a a wonderful thing. I'm reminded of some of you who are old-timers remember Billy and Peggy Ben. Uh, Billy and Peggy were drug users. They were old hippies. They came to Christ. They didn't have any kind of church background. Billy Ben was the first man I ever saw in a church of Christ hold up his hands and praise God. And I remember talking to Peggy shortly after we came here, and she talked about being converted to Christ. And the first few times she came to this church, she said, I, I kept hearing rain, but it wasn't raining. And we'd be in church, and a little bit later, the preacher would say something, I'd hear rain, but it wasn't raining. And finally, she figured it out. It was the pages in the Bible turning as people were flipping their Bibles, reading with the preacher. And she'd never heard that sound before. And last week, I heard that sound again, and it was pretty cool. Now, I will say it was mildly disconcerting to me, because usually when I preach, you're all looking up here. But last week, I was preaching, and y'all were all looking down here. I had no idea how many bald spots there are in this church. But I think it's worth it. To send the message to our young people that we put our trust in the Word of God. So, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, get one of those Bibles in the pew and turn to page number 680. And just keep it right there. Because that's the text we're going to look at today. The first four verses will be there in a second. Let me start with a story. About a preacher and he's about ten minutes into his sermon and he just kind of abruptly quits. He usually preached about 30 minutes, but he began to apologize profusely and said, I am so sorry, but our dog likes to eat paper. And this morning I wasn't watching, and he ate most of my sermon. And everybody understood, and they were kind about it. But after the service, a visitor came up to the preacher and just said, listen, you let me know if that dog ever has pups. I want to give one to my minister. See, the problem of incomplete sermons is not a new problem. John is writing to a church that has been disturbed by what I think is some incomplete preaching. Remember, we saw last week that a group had been in that church, but they had left that church. And they claimed they had more knowledge and more insight and they had some new understandings. And that left the group that John is writing to uncertain about what they believed and about whether or not they were complete Christians. And so John writes to them and he's going to say 36 times, 
we know. He's writing to assure us of the things that keep us strong in faith. And you begin with the most important, and that's what we believe about Jesus. So let's read the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, I'm going to suggest this morning that there are three complete sentences in this text that are going to give us confidence in what we've been told to believe. Now, here's the first. John says the gospel is complete. He begins that which is from the beginning. Now, the first thing you have to do is what do you mean by the beginning? Because in the beginning in the Bible can mean different things. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning means the start of creation when God made the heavens and the earth. In John 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, there he's talking about the timeless unbeginning of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a beginning, but human beings, because our brains are so small, we have to think of a start somewhere. So John says, well, just go back before the beginning of creation. Go back before there was a beginning. Jesus was there. Now, in 1 John 1, 1, he's talking, I think, about the beginning of the preaching of of the gospel. Notice he doesn't say he who was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning. The best way to interpret the Bible is to read the Bible. And so look at how John uses that phrase in chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. He's talking about something they've heard. Chapter 2, verse 24. See that what you've heard from the beginning, remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now remember, some people have left this church and said, we have new understandings and insights that you don't have. And it's disturbed the church. So what John is doing, he's saying, no, wait a second. You got the complete package in the beginning. When we came and we preached to you, we told you the whole story. So you stick to and you have confidence in the gospel you heard in the beginning. Because he says this is not a message based on hearsay. Not on gossip. Not on rumor. We gave you eyewitness testimony. Look at verse 1 from the message. He says, from the very first day we were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. See, I want you to understand, it is, it is absolutely necessary, if you're going to have fellowship with Christ, to have fellowship with His apostles. What John is saying is that the Spirit has guided their eyewitness testimony to transfer to the future generations, the real complete story of Jesus. Now, we have it here in our New Testament. 
And John is saying it is complete, it is sufficient, it doesn't need to be improved, you don't need to add to it. In fact, Jude, who was a brother of Jesus and also an eyewitness, said in his little letter, defend the truth of the good news. God gave this unchanging truth once for all time to his holy people. Paul would say to the Galatians, if even an angel shows up and says, I have some new stuff to add to what you heard about Jesus from the beginning, Paul says, that angel needs to be cursed. John is saying that what they heard from the beginning is complete, and it is completely sufficient to produce fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus, and fellowship with one another. Because you've got to understand, folks, fellowship has always been God's goal, not salvation. Salvation is the means to the end. What God wants is what he designed in the beginning, a world where people love each other and they love God and we're all in fellowship with each other. And what John is saying is that we gave you the complete package. We gave you eyewitness testimony. We were there. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. And we told you the whole story. Hang on to it. Believe in it. Trust in it. And this will produce fellowship. The word of life will produce fellowship. See, that's the second main point John is making. That fellowship is completely about Jesus. And there's two things here. One's a very exclusive point and one's a very inclusive point I want to make. But you've got to understand what John is arguing here is what we call the historical question. It cannot be overemphasized that Christianity is not like other religions, a compilation of various thoughts and doctrines. It is based on actual historical events. That what makes Christianity different is the claim that God has entered into history as a man. Now that's what John is saying. We were there. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. And God was here, audibly, visibly, tangibly. Peter would say in his little letter, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, the apostles, when they put down in the record of our New Testament what they saw and heard, they are not just giving us philosophical speculation. They're not saying, oh, you know, we would just like to add a little bit to the great body of religious thought out there. They are making a dogmatic affirmation of what they believe to be true based on personal experience. And here's the rub. If what they say they saw and heard is true. And that's a big if. And there are billions of people in the world who don't think what they saw and heard is true. They think it's made up. But if what they say they saw and they heard is true, then it's true for all people 
for all time. And this is the real issue and offense of the incarnation. This is the real scandal of what we call Christmas. If the apostolic testimony is true, then every single person in the world needs to get down on their knees and bow down and worship a particular Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth. If God became a man, then all pretense is stripped away from every man who wants to be his own God. You see, John is saying, folks, either the incarnation matters most of all, Or it doesn't matter at all because it never happened. But what you can't do is put it somewhere in the middle. And I'm not sure those of us who grew up in a Christian environment appreciate the scandal of what John is saying. I have a good friend named Buddy Bell. He's preached here before. He's a preacher in Alabama. But for some years, he was a very effective campus minister at the University of Alabama. And one Sunday night after one of their devotionals, they went over to the church building because some students wanted to be baptized into Jesus. And back at the back of the auditorium, sitting by himself on a pew, was a young man named Sina. Now, Sina was a student at Alabama University from the nation of Iran. He was a Muslim. And he had a very wistful look in his eyes. And so Buddy went to speak to him, and he said, What are you thinking, Sina? And he said, I admire these people being baptized, but all I can see when they are baptized... Is my mother. And what he was saying was, buddy, if I was to get baptized, I lose everything. I lose home. I lose career. I lose family. I lose everything. And they studied for several weeks. And I would love to tell you that Cena overcame his fear and accepted Christ, but as far as we know, he never did and went back to Iran. But he made a statement before he left. That at least tells me that he gets it. Maybe he gets it better than some of us get it. Because he said, buddy, if what you're saying is true, it changes everything. Nothing else matters. You see, either Jesus is the way. Or he's no way. But what the apostles will not let you say is he's just one of many ways. Because that's not what they saw. That's not what they heard. E. Stanley Jones, famous missionary, said there was this man in Africa who got lost. And he found this little village and asked one of the people there if they could help him get back to his camp. And a man said he could. He took his uh, machete and he started hacking his way through the jungle. And the man was following him and finally he said... Where is the path? And the man said, Buona, out here there is no path. I am the path. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, I am one of a whole bunch of roads. He said, I am the way. And that's why I say to you, the most important question you ever have to answer is the question Jesus asked every man. Who do you say I am. And John says, we're not passing on rumors. We didn't make this stuff up. We were there. On the first day we were there, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. 
God has come into history to do great things through Jesus of Nazareth. And here's the cool thing. The historical question provides a horizontal answer. You say, what you just said is so exclusive. Yes, but now listen to how inclusive the rest of what I'm about to say can be. See, God's goal has always been for all of His children to love Him and love each other. That's why you can boil the whole Bible down to two things. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And John has already declared that the way to have fellowship with the Father is through the Son. Because as we'll see later, Jesus is the only answer to the sin problem that disrupted our fellowship with the Father in the first place. But now what John is going to say is, and the closer you get to Jesus, the closer we ought to get to each other. Because he's not just the answer to the vertical fellowship problem, he's the answer to the horizontal fellowship problem. Now, what I'm about to say is politically incorrect. John would say here that I can't have very significant fellowship then with somebody who does not believe the record about Jesus. Now, I know I'm supposed to go to community prayer services and there may be a sh- uh, someone there from the Muslim faith and someone there who's a Buddhist and someone there who's a Hindu and we're all supposed to get together and we're praying to the same God anyway. I can't do that. I can be a good neighbor. I can love anybody. But I can't have the kind of fellowship John is talking about with somebody who doesn't believe the testimony about Jesus. But, why is it in a nation where tens of of millions of people say they do believe the testimony. They say they do believe the apostolic witness about Jesus. Why is it that we live in such divided communities with almost little fellowship? John said, I'm telling you the story so that you can believe it and we can have fellowship. Well, we're... Saying we believe it and we aren't having fellowship. What happened? The problem is that we're acquiring more for fellowship than John did. In other words, instead of trying to establish fellowship around Jesus only, we're trying to establish fellowship around Jesus mostly. Jesus alone doesn't destroy fellowship. Jesus plus does. And so we live in a country where instead of having fellowship on the basis of the apostolic testimony about Jesus, we say, no, I believe in Jesus plus instrumental music. Well, I believe in Jesus plus acapella music. Well, then we can't have fellowship. Well, I believe in Jesus plus this view of the role of women. Well, I believe in Jesus plus this view of the role of women. So we can't have fellowship. I believe in Jesus plus this view of the rapture. Well, I believe in Jesus plus no view of the rapture. So we can't have fellowship. 
I believe in Jesus plus all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe in Jesus plus only some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That makes you a heretic. That's what we do. We get divided on the pluses and we start calling the other people heretics. Which is interesting because in the New Testament, the only way you could be called a heretic is if you denied the identity of Jesus or the complete sufficiency of his atonement. You see, my brother and I, according to John, might be wrong on lots of things. But he is my brother if we're both right about Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, So I want you to know how to discern what is truly from God. No one speaking by the Spirit of God can curse Jesus. And no one is able to say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, are these other issues unimportant? I didn't say that. And it's not wrong to have strong convictions about them. I can even understand why it might be best if brethren separated into individual communities to worship because of their convictions. I'm asking the question, though, why is it we can't, despite our differences of opinions on all the pluses, come together and give to the unbelieving world one unified witness, Jesus is Lord, believe the apostles' testimony. But they're not listening because we're fussing so much about the pluses. And you know what? I am an heir of a movement that used to have this as their main message. I know a lot of you didn't grow up in churches of Christ, but I did. And I know a little bit about our history. We started out as a movement that said, let's drop all the talk about the pluses and just focus on Christ. Back in 1852... Robert Richardson, who was a teacher with Alexander Campbell, wrote some articles because people were saying, what do you folks really teach? And here's what he wrote. I want you to listen. Because you've got to understand the context in the early 1800s of America. You had all these different camps. And to get into any of the denominations of that day, you had to literally pass a test that proved that you had the correct understanding of all the pluses they had divided over. Here's what he wrote. We differ from all the parties here on one particular to which I wish to call your attention. It is this. While they suppose this Christian faith to be doctrinal, we regard it as personal. In other words, they suppose that doctrines or religious tenets to be the subject matter of this faith. We, on the contrary, conceive it to terminate on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. While they accordingly require an elaborate confession from each convert, a confession mainly of a doctrinal and intellectual character studiously elaborated into an extended formula. We demand only a simple confession of Christ, a heartfelt acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Christian faith, then, in our view, consists not in any theory or system of doctrine, but in a sincere belief in the person and mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. But 
if you know the history, you know that like every other group, we didn't keep that noble goal very long. We started fighting and splitting over pluses. And we said we just wanted to be Christians only, but here's what I've learned. Being a Christian only is going to be complicated until you start basing fellowship on Christ only. I like how Paul sees it in 1 Corinthians 2. I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I think that's why God gave us the two powerful symbols of baptism and communion. Because perhaps in the regular practice of those two rites... We could remember the gospel. It is the witness about Jesus, who he was, and what he did that makes us Christians. This is our message. This is our basis for fellowship. This is our reason for hope. And this is the source of our joy. Did you notice at the very end of his introduction, John says, here's why I'm writing this. To make our joy complete. Write down the last complete sentence. Joy is completed when the message is repeated. Notice John said, I'm going to tell you what I saw and what I heard so we can have fellowship and our joy can be complete. You see, John is saying joy isn't just in naming Jesus. Joy is in proclaiming Jesus. Joy comes when you take this testimony and this story and you share it with somebody else. Now we live in a very anti-Christian world and I can tell you right now if you take the exclusive, incredible, scandalous story of Jesus into the world, some are going to scoff, it's going to get rejected, Some are going to attack the message and some are going to attack the messenger. But I tell you what else is going to happen. As you partner with the Holy Spirit and you take this story and this witness about Jesus, who he was and what he did into the world. Some are going to be resurrected. Some are going to go from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. Some are going to say, thank you for telling me the story. And in that moment, you are going to experience the greatest joy you've ever known as a Christian. You'll never feel more complete. It is a radical message. And it can turn the world upside down. I was reminded of that again with a brief video I want you to watch right now. We remember the birth of Jesus the Christ. We have been told stories of old. God came as a child to change the destiny of all men, to show forgiveness to sinners. To believe such things is misguided. The truth is, he was just an ordinary man who lived an ordinary life. 
Those who do not believe the truth say, We proclaim his name, Emmanuel, God with us. We share the wonder of the shepherds. We sing the songs of the angels. This is not what is real. Shepherds were not awakened by angelic announcement. There were no wise men celebrating the birth of the king. I'd be lying to you if I said that for the creator of the universe, there was no room in the inn. For the Son of God, there was but a humble stable. Whether you like it or not, this is the reality of Christmas. That's what I used to think. But then I made room for him in my heart, and Jesus turned it all upside down. This is the reality of Christmas, whether you like it or not. There was but a humble stable for the Son of God. There was no room in the inn for the creator of the universe. I'd be lying to you if I said that there were no wise men celebrating the birth of the king, that shepherds were not awakened by angelic announcement. This is not what is real. We sing the song of the angels. We share the wonder of the shepherds. We proclaim his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Those who do not believe the truth say he was just an ordinary man who lived an ordinary life, but... To believe such things is misguided. The truth is, to show forgiveness to sinners, to change the destiny of all men, God came as a child. We've been told stories of old. We remember the birth of Jesus the Christ. Would you stand up with me, please? Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer, how He loves me, how I love This is our story and this is our song. It's an exclusive story because we don't believe there's any other way to be saved. But it's an inclusive story. We believe anybody, anybody can be saved through Jesus Christ. If you believe the testimony today, why don't you come and be baptized into Jesus and join the story. If you'd like someone to pray with you, our elders and ministers will be back at the chapel. But we're going to sing about what we believe without apology because this is the story that gives us all hope. You come while we sing. <laughs> 